Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Jay Sandlin. Jay is the writer of Over the Ropes and Hellfire from Mad Cave Studios. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Jay, thanks so much for for joining us. Why don't you start us off with a uh, short bio about yourself and your comics, and then we'll take a deep dive into these comics. Let's do it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Like you said, I am Jay Sandlin. Uh, They call me the Chancellor of Shortlandia. And I, uh, yeah, yes, true. It's my own fictional country where uh, anybody under five foot eight is allowed in. Um, We have a uh, a comic book store and uh, a newsletter, which you can subscribe to at jsandlin.com. Also, uh, follow me on social media. My accounts are jsandlin underscore whn. Uh, Name for my podcast, which is jsandlin What Happens Next, a podcast for cool creative types where we talk about writing the process and play some games sometimes. So check talk about some comics I've written. We're going to talk, I guess, Over the Ropes, uh, Hellfighter Quinn, then I've also got a novel out. It's a collection of short stories uh, called Space Police Files that you can pick up on Amazon, paperback or e-copy. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about the novel. One of the things that we do like to talk about is some of the differences between writing in prose and writing in comics. So we'll definitely we'll, we'll touch on that as well. Great. Uh, so uh, is there one book that you'd like to talk about first or... Uh... Well, uh, Over the Ropes is out now. We just had issue two come out in January, and issue one started in December. So, uh, yeah, why don't we start with that one? Cool. So um, you were you were nice enough to provide us with uh, with preview copies. Um, so we were able to check this out. Um, this is this going to be a uh, five issue series? Correct. We're going to have five issues. Uh, issue three will be coming out in February this month, and then you'll have four and five, uh, after which I believe the trade paperback is coming in April, if I'm nice. not mistaken. That's a good turnaround. That's great. And uh, so how did you end up, uh, how did you uh, end up working with Mad Cave? Mad Cave Studios, the hottest indie comics publisher for my money out there, is uh, really great and gave me a shot. Um, I had only self-published a couple of little things before that, but um, and I had done a lot of podcasting. They kind of placed an opening, and your submission had to be scripts from writers for two existing Mad Cave properties. So I chose uh, two of their books to write, um, I guess, fan fiction from. Uh, I, I chose their titles, uh, Midnight Task Force and one from Battle Cats. So they read my script and took my stories from there. And they told me really early on um, when they picked me uh, with a few other guys, they said, we, we think you'd be a good choice for an underdog wrestling comic, which is what Over the Ropes came to be. And they said that was because uh, they had kind of seen on social media where I had been talking about wrestling here and there. And they said, you, you seem kind of knowledgeable about it. And uh, I, so I, from then on, I've always been telling people, it's like, yeah, if, you, if people tell you that you're wasting your time talking about wrestling on social media, 
say, screw you, man. <laughs> in, the, in the words of DX, suck it. So <laughs> that was so, in uh, September of 2018 when we actually started that whole process. Was that part of the, uh, the talent search? Correct. Okay. And so and, you're, you're a class of 2018 talent search uh, winner? Yeah, the inaugural. Cool. And so with, uh, with this story, did you immediately know, like, yeah, I know how to do that? Or did, you, did it take a while for you to develop a story, develop, like, the, the main characters and everything? Yes, I did immediately think um, I know how to do that because I, I do know wrestling. I know I've been watching it, uh, you know, for a few decades now. Um, and I really also enjoy the history. I've probably read every wrestler's biography that's available. Righteous. So that was a big help. Um, and all they asked of me was underdog wrestling story. They didn't really give me a lot to go on other than that, which I liked. So once I decided um, early on that it would take place in the 90s, because that's the era that I probably associate the most with it, and a lot of other people are the same, um, I decided it would take place in the South because I'm from the South, and you know they say write what you know. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to uh, focus on the dying territories of the early 90s when wrestling was divided into a lot of you know territories, but that all kind of died out from cable TV. Right. So once I kind of got that in my mind, yeah, I'd say the rest came uh, pretty easily. And then I decided I really needed to focus on character work. You know, characters like guys in the 90s where you had these over-the-top characters on wrestling Saturday mornings. It was almost cartoonish, which I think works well with comics. Is the, is the 90s um, considered, is that like the, the attitude era with like Stone Cold and The Rock and like Triple H, or do, do I have my time frames wrong there? Yeah, you're correct. The 90s uh, with the Attitude Era is typically considered to have begun in late 96 when Stone Cold Steve Austin won the Royal, uh, or King of the Ring, rather, and gave his uh, Austin 316 promo. Okay. Um, this is a little before that, though, and it, 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 they're in the same decade. You know, the early 90s to the late 90s in wrestling are totally different which is kind of funny to think about how little it seemed wrestling changed from say like 2012 to 2018. Mm-hmm. It's the same period of time from, uh, you know, my story takes place in 1992 when you have guys running around, you know, dressed like uh, repo men and uh, firemen and over the top characters and ending it with like stone cold, the rock, etc. cetera. Okay. So uh, yeah, totally different system going on from the end of the 90s to compare to the beginning. And that was another thing. I thought, hey, maybe if there's more volumes, maybe if there are more issues, I've got a whole decade of change to build upon. Right. So I decided to start in 92 and feature a a territory that is kind of up and coming, uh, trying to take a piece of that cable TV pie, the SFW, the Southern Fried Wrestling. (laughs) Right. And you also have stuff, I don't, know, I don't know much about wrestling from that other than I just watched the, the Toys That Made Us episode about wrestling and uh, I knew just a little bit about it before and I kind of got to see the sort of like the drama unfold around that time. 
And you kind of have elements from that era as well, like the dynasty characters where you have like a son of a wrestler and his dad and everything. And that's, uh, is that sort of an homage? I think was it, was it McMahon had him and his son? It, it was, but not specifically to that. The wrestling business has always been kind of a family business. There have always been families. Um, and yes, it was a, uh, you're talking about the Radisons who are a, yeah. The Southern wrestling royalty in in the uh, over the ropes universe. Um, Ramblin Ricky Radisson is the owner of SFW. He is the you know was the top wrestler of his day, and now he's trying to pass that brass ring on to his son Billy. Um, kind of a lot like uh, maybe the uh, the Von Erichs family in uh, Texas back in the day. Um, the Hart family in Canada. Uh, then you, you now you've got you know Dusty Rhodes and Dustin and Cody. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of family wrestlers, and a, a lot of people trying to break into the business have said, you know, if if you're not somebody's son or cousin, you know, don't bother because <laughs> they yeah. they feel it's very tight and guarded. So yeah, I I wanted to kind of get that feel of it. It's like it's clickish. Because uh, that's why the uh, main hero of uh, Jason Lynn is such an underdog. He he talks about it in the first issue how he doesn't have any real connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think one thing that's very interesting that you did with the storytelling here, and one thing that probably had to be a challenge, and you addressed this pretty early on with some of the uh, the the monologue at the at the beginning. Um, with wrestling being scripted or quote unquote fake, you found an interesting way to um, turn that turn that on its head so that when we're watching these wrestling matches that develop in the second and the third issue, there there there's a you know we're, we're sensing that they're that they're real. There's because we know that we know the backstory. How long did it come take you to come up with that? I don't know. That's that's a good question. I think when I decided that it was going to show behind the scenes and not be like th- th- there are two ways that I saw to do it. You could make your comic like an episode of Raw mm-hmm. and you know maintain the kayfabe for the sake of the show or I could show the backstage elements and it wasn't really a question for me. I knew I wanted to show the backstage drama. So once I decided that, it was just it, it kind of just fell together. I don't think that was really a, a big plan. I was like, okay, so he goes off. I, I, when I decided early on that they would go off script and uh, sometimes shoot on each other, as they say in wrestling, a shoot match where they really start fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I knew that that would be a way to raise the stakes because – like you know, like you say, if wrestling's predetermined and this is a you know a book, where are the stakes? So I had to create some. You also created personal stakes in the first issue because there's a line in there that um, the Phoenix says in his monologue where it's you know it's it's all the the only person who matters is the guy whose arms are raised at the end, you know, and that's sort of the hierarchy of wrestling right there. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really interested in what you guys thought about it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. Like I was, sorry, I was sort of comparing it before we recorded to Rocky Three in a way. Um, you know, Rocky One is like sort of the very realistic, you know, American Dream realized story, but like Rocky Three has 
parts of that in there, but it kind of takes itself less seriously and it kind of treats the characters more as like gods, you know, which is very fitting for something like say pro wrestling. Oh and, yes. It uh, is. And you know, one, th- one of the things in like Rocky three is it's all about like, I know I'm probably reading too much into Rocky three, but I uh, like, I think uh, sort of one of the cool things about Rocky three thematically is sort of what's real and what's not real, you know, and like how much of it bleeds into your personal life and you know, how much of it you do take personally, even though it is a sport you know, and uh, how that can sort of like wreck your life and wreck the, the, your relationships with people around you or in some cases kill the people around you. Yes, know? well, I, I do intend to introduce a robot friend for Jason oh, in the last episode. Oh, uh, issue, rather. So, yeah, so uh, that's my... We're, that's we're going sort of to keep following that. Yeah. Yes, okay, good. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll definitely, you know, if I wasn't reading it before, I am now. Um yeah, but I, I, that's sort of how I felt about it. And I don't know if that's a very accurate depiction. Like, because there is sort of this, like, Olympian aspect to pro wrestling. You know, like, it, it, like you said, it sort of lends itself to comics. And comics are all about sort of elevating, like, the superheroes and things like that. But yeah. Certainly. Yeah, so for me, I, I really enjoyed it. And to not give too, too much away, but uh, there's a decision that he makes at the end of the, the first issue um, you alluded to this a little bit. He he goes off script, and that's going to have ramifications. Um, and then as we go forward, um, there is that behind the scenes where the 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 guys are getting together to to discuss the match or even like rib each other before the match. And and we're seeing that the, you know this is this is this is a high stakes uh, fight because we, we know all of this stuff that's, that's going on behind the scenes. You know, there's a character, um, that's brought in, um, that's very colorful that when they, when they go to Memphis and, you know, they, they have that conversation before they get started and that sort of amps up the drama. And we know that like, this is, this is, this is going to be a knockdown drag out, uh, fight that we're getting ready to see. So again, like as I was saying earlier with the backstory, you really amped up the stakes um, the, the battles are the, the fights, the matches they're, they're, they're so, they're so dramatic because we do know that backstory and we do know that these guys are going to, you know, from what we learned in the first issue, they're going to go off script. And, you know, so, wow, there might be like a direction that the, that the, the organizers or, or all the other wrestlers think that it's going to go in. It's not necessarily always going to go that way. So with that backstory, you've really, you've really, kept everybody guessing oh that's that's the that's the fun part you know it's cool that you that was something like a repeated line in the first issue is that it's all fake and then you end it on it turning real yeah. and the uh, the audience doesn't know but mm-hmm. uh you you the reader get to know yeah. so yeah we can we can give away a little bit you know with issues one and two but issue one's been out for a while um okay. Like we say, he goes off script. He becomes his own character, the Phoenix, a uh, a face painted wrestler uh, for the main character. I, I've always loved face pa- painted wrestlers. I've liked you know the the Road Warriors, uh, the Legion of Doom, um, guys like the Ultimate Warrior and Sting. Uh, that was something else I decided really early on that I wanted the main guy to be you know this just kind of character. So I was mm-hmm. like, well have him paint his face and then um, throw in a mask wrestler too, to be his best friend. Cause I, I love the guys wearing the masks. I love that. He's wearing his mask everywhere, including his day job. <laughs> like that's, that was, 
that made me like that gave me pure joy. Right. Yeah, that's uh that's Blue Bomba we're talking yes. about. Yeah, yeah. the Lucha yeah. Star. Wears his mask, waiting tables, um, in the shower, sleeping. Yes. Yes, yes. It's it's the tradition, you know, of La Lucha. Was that something that you wrote into the script or was that something you and the artist came up with? The artist and I didn't have any discussion. Uh, that all went through the editor. It okay. was from, so that was all from the script. The, uh, and, and the script was written, you know, several months before it got to the artist. So I got to see a lot of this, um, you know, what I'd written. It took a long time and, you know, relatively speaking for it to unfold had to learn the patience there that goes into comic booking. That's awesome. And, and the artist on um, Over the Ropes is, uh, let's see, I'm trying to look it up, uh, but do you know it offhand? It is, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. It's Antonel, um, Antonello come. Cosentino, Cosentino. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so did you provide him any, or were you able to provide him any reference? Like, uh, like when you designed uh, the, the character and the face paint, were you able to like, or, or maybe with the editor, were you like, did you, were you able to send him pictures? Like he looks to me, he looks a lot like Sting. So were you able to send um, Chris uh, Fernandez or her Fernandez, mm -hmm. the uh, like, you know, let's, let's make them look a little bit like Sting or, or was that all on the artist? No, I uh, provided hundreds of images okay. uh, for references. That was a huge part of the scripting process. I don't draw. I'm not mm -hmm. an artist like Antonello Cosentino or a colorist like uh, Francesco Segala on the book. And then we've got Justin Birch on lettering just to get everybody in there. Yeah, that's um, good. We, we have... Uh, a Google Doc shared drive, and there's an entire file where I drop reference files. And just for comic book writers, I find it best to include in your description per panel when you're talking about it, link directly to the image you're referring to. Okay. Because you can't, and this was a mistake I made, you can't just make a file, throw some images in and say, see the reference file. Because I'm not saying that artists are lazy, but they've got a big job. They've mm -hmm. got a lot to do. And they can't, if you have to search every few panels through however many dozens of images you've stuck in a file, that's, uh, it, it becomes a much you know harder job. So make it as easy for them as you can if you're going to use reference art but definitely use it. I also had to use reference art for wrestling moves, uh, sequences. I used uh, some YouTube clips, videos. Um, oh, wow. Issue two, the match between um, Phoenix and Jesse Presley, the Memphis <laughs> villain you were referring to. Yes. Uh, the finish for that match I got from uh, Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy ladder match on... Uh, Monday night, I think it was on a Monday night raw. They fought for the title. One of my favorite matches, um, except I replaced the um, chair that they used with a guitar in the <laughs> comic book. So yeah, I get things from a lot of different places and the more detailed you can be with your um, artist, the better it's going to be for them because they've got a big job to do already. So for this issue too, did you have the did you have the city in mind, or did you have this 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 character, this Jesse Presley uh, character first? Like, 
to you know Memphis, well, him being an El- the world's largest Elvis impersonator. Uh, what did what did you have first there? I decided the book would be about a territory first, mm-hmm. and then I decided it was a southern territory, and I decided there would be a tour. So each book would be a different city because wrestling is a traveling you know business above all. So I believe I once I decided that it was a matter of picking some recognizable southern cities, uh, except for issue one, which takes place in the fictional hometown, mm-hmm. uh, but it's out, it's in Alabama. So we had Memphis, Nashville, Atlanta. Uh, I think Birmingham might have been in the middle somewhere. Uh, and when I decided on Memphis, yes, I, I thought, well. Um, because I had been to Graceland uh, just a few years back, and I, I thought, uh, you know, uh, looking for more characters, I decided to cross Yokozuna with the Honky Tonk Man, <laughs> and that was where uh, Jesse Presley came from. That's great. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at issue two here. There's a lot of like. Uh, uh, changes in the color palette as the as the matches go on. Um, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah, you know, the, the there's a lot of like purples as we start, and then when people get struck with with chairs, you know, we we have a dramatic like color shift to like a like a yellow. Um, you know, with like we we can feel the pain there. Um, was was that direction from you, or was that something that uh, or the 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 editor, or was that something that the colorist was able to to bring to the to the comic? As far as I know, that was Francesco. Um, I didn't. I, I did make some notes on coloring. Um, you know, kind of throughout, they, I would give my opinion once an issue had been you know penciled and colored. Uh, sometimes I'd have to give some direction if there was you know confusion about what I'd done. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't make a lot of those decisions as far as things to set the mood. Um, some of the main notes I probably made were just, uh, I know at one point the, <laughs> the belt strap was colored pink <laughs> in issue one. Because probably like an artistic choice. But I was like, you can't give him a pink belt. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Chris agreed. He was like, "Yeah, pink belt's got to go." But uh, <laughs> and uh, some, I think there was like one character's hair, you know. But other than that, no, I didn't really say a lot about the coloring. Um, I did have to say a lot about the ring attire because wrestlers change their looks a lot. Uh, it goes along with character. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the same can be said for superheroes. You know, right. a, a story can be totally different if Spider-Man's wearing his red and blues or the black costume. And with Over the Ropes, I wanted Phoenix to actually have three different uh, costumes. And I, I got them all, but um, I remember the first pass at issue one, uh, they put Phoenix in the wrong costume. And I was, I had to be like, nope, that's, that's not the right suit. He's supposed to wear this then and that then. And um, that was something that got really confusing just to figure out who was wearing what when. Because wrestlers are it's like, okay, now he's in his street clothes. Now he's in his workout clothes. And, and they probably wanted to be like, can this not just be like an episode of Doug where everybody wears the same thing every day? <laughs> yeah. That's really cool because like we've talked to a lot of artists and writers 
And we're always interested to hear like the background stuff and what gets changed when art comes back to the writer. So that's really fascinating. Um, did you have that on as like on your other books as well? Like on, on, uh, on like Hellfighter and things like that. Did you like have a very specific idea in mind for costumes and things that had to be changed? Yes, I did. And that's more me. Um, I'm really picky. Uh, and the look means a lot to me, whether, you know, in any book, if I don't like the look of a character, I don't really get into the character as much. Mm -hmm. And I can say that about movies and TV shows. Um, so with, uh, if we're swapping gears, let's talk Hellfighter Quinn. Yeah, that's yeah. the, that is the uh, Mortal Kombat meets Bloodsport uh, superhero martial arts tournament book that we've got coming out in March. That's a beautiful description. I'm like melting Thanks. here. That was gorgeous. I, I've had a, I've had a few months to put it together. So thanks. yeah. <laughs> um, Hellfighter Quinn came to me more completed than Over the Ropes had been. I didn't get to start Hellfighter Quinn from the ground up. They already had the main characters. They had some preliminary designs, mm -hmm. and they you know had here's what elements you need to have. And those were, you know, the main character has to be Hellfighter Quinn. He's a vigilante from uh, Harlem who gets called up into this fantasy tournament. There are five clans all competing in this tournament. There's, uh, you know, an assassin clan of ninja types, a cyber clan of uh, cyborg types, and then there's this queen's clan of, like, superhero power types. So... Go make a, you know, they, they kind of said, here's your sandbox, go play. And uh, they had to pull me in a few times. They had to rein me in, but I did get a lot of input on the initial designs. Um, if you look at the cover, Quinn has kind of a domino mask. Mm -hmm. And when they initially gave me the character designs that the uh, artist had come up with, he had a, like a red Robin type cowl like a kind of like Batman just without the ears. Okay. And I, I really didn't like it. Uh, I said he looked almost like a Lucha and I had just finished doing over the ropes. So I was like, don't, don't make him look like a Lucha. And uh, we came, so we came up with the domino mask, uh, which I think was a huge step up. Everybody agreed. Um, there was another problem with uh not a problem, but there was the uh, colorist Maria who is amazing. She's one of yeah. the best colorists I've ever seen. But she had colored this one uh, main character. It's one of the main villains, is this guy Invictus, who is in the book. And she had given him like light brown hair and really pale skin. And I told Maria, it was Maria Santanola. I'm probably butchering your name. I'm so sorry, Maria. But uh, she, I, I had sent a note to the editor. I was like, I, I really think he needs to be more like a, uh, Ivan Drago look, you know, gold, tan complexion, golden hair. And um, you can definitely see that on some pages. Yeah, it may have stressed her out a bit, but I think it was definitely everyone was satisfied with all the changes. Um, yeah. So we had a, we've had a great time with Hellfighter Quinn. I've read, um, you know, I've seen the completed issue one. I've seen all the completed artwork so far, but I've only actually seen issue one all lettered up and everything. Um, what what'd you guys think about it? I loved it. And I was going to ask you, yeah, I'll let Matt say, then I have a question about the, uh, the world. 
No, I, I, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, Noah and I uh, briefly before the show, we were talking and we were saying how this is like, this just drops you into the action. And it was yeah. like, a, it was like an eighties, like, and like you said, Mortal Kombat, just sort of, um, you know, we, we went right away. We were, we were in the action and it was a, you know, a smash them up. So um, a different type of story, uh, but uh, just as intriguing. I kind of had to do it that way. The the drop in you're talking about, yeah. Because I, I kind of had to because you only have so many pages, you know, with any book. Uh, and this was the same with Over the Ropes. With with only having so many pages, I had to put a tournament in there, mm-hmm. and I realized if I don't plan my pages wisely, I'm not going to get to show many fights. Mm-hmm. And if he's going to win a tournament, he's got to win some fights. So that's why you see him just almost literally drop into a fight. Yeah. And and it, you, so sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was just wondering a little bit from like sort of like a storytelling standpoint, is that also like a good way to like, you know, somebody on the stands who picks it up, they're going to, you know, they're going to, you know, the cover is going to be the first thing that catches their eye. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to open it up and they're going to be like, oh, wow, page one, here I am. I'm in action. I'm not getting, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting a bunch of backstory and a bunch of, you know, uh, di- you know, dialogue. I'm, I'm, I'm in it right away. So is that a little bit of like storytelling and a little bit of like comics marketing uh, put together? Generally speaking, with um, a graphic medium like comics, you want to show more than tell. True. That's not always to say that, you know, one way is better than the other way. Uh, every story is subjective. But I, I like that better than, you know, a big page of dialogue telling about, you know, the, the history of the five clans and how the tribunal was founded as a way to decide who would hold the power for an age and each age, blah, 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 blah. No, I'd, I'd probably want to, you know, rip my own heart out after reading that. I'd, <laughs> I'd, rather see, I'd rather see these guys rip some hearts out and spines out and, you know, carve your face off and shit. Yeah. That's cool to be in touch with your inner comic reader and know what you want from a book and like what you want to see. Uh, Cause that's got to help in being sort of utilitarian with your page count because like also, you know, like you talked about like a very heavy focus on co- like character design, costume design, stuff like that. So much about like the clans is just given by visual cues, you know, sort of drawing upon what we know as like what assassins look like, what, superheroes look like you know what cyborgs and fishmen look like you know yeah the fishman myrmidon he's the the first opponent that you actually get to see in the preview pages he wasn't originally a fishman he was just like a pretty boy with a uh, trident named myrmidon and i was like no no let's let's go and make him like you know predator meets creature from the black come on (laughs) Let's, let's show, I had to show that that was a way I thought to really just show that we are in this fantasy world. Oh yeah. There was actually a lot uh, that when he, when Quinn, the, the main character, the Hellfighter, I, I wanted him to have a lot of, uh, I guess, pop culture references and this kind of, you know, sarcastic wit um, along with the Harlem speak. And uh, he, he tells Myrmidon when he meets him, he's like, you look like something Free Willy would throw up. Yeah. But they, they edited my first choice for that line. Um, do you want to know what it was? Yes. Definitely. Yes. All right. So originally he met Myrmidon and said, you look like the inside of Free Willy's asshole. Yes. 
that's that that that's still the line in the sandlin cut. Yeah, that's great. Release release the uh, sandlin cut. Release the sandlin cut. Yeah. Oh, don't get them started. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and I guess I wanted to know your approach to like world building as action mm-hmm. is is happening because that's a. Uh, you know, that's something we like to, like, you know, we, we, we've asked people about because that's, uh, you know, it's a very uh, good way to keep the story moving is, of course, to have a lot of action scenes. But how do you uh, take the balance of, like, writing a good action scene and building the world, world at the same time? Well, it's hard to say. Um, I, I would say don't overthink it. And there are remember that you're going to know a hundred percent about the world as the writer, mm-hmm. but in any given chapter page panel, you know, whatever the medium is, you're going to give maybe 2% to the reader. And once you can kind of accept that <laughs> you'll be, uh, you'll sleep a lot better at night. Cause I was the world's worst. Um, and I took my first book that I ever wrote out of print myself because of this. Uh, I was the world's worst of just telling it to the point that my writing was more like a series Bible where I would just go on a tangent for pages about, and you know, the, the history of this and what this really is. And that really is. And, and it's great that you're that creative. It's, it's, we understand that you have, you know, spent time thinking about this world, its history, the rules, and you can find a lot of cool ways to show that, but if it doesn't happen organically, it's not going to work in your story. Um, it's it's a li- it sounds a bit like nailing Jello to a wall. There are a lot of good books you can read on the subject, but uh, a good editor is also worth their weight in gold in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, with all that world building, does that like allow you? I know you said that like two percent of that is like what we see, but does that allow you to you know understand? the 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 motivations and why somebody um will make decisions or act the way that they do um this with all that world building and that you've done absolutely once you really understand your character's world and then you understand their background and where they're where they came from that's all a part of voice and finding voice for your character there's a i I don't know who it was that said this but there are two stories there's winnie the pooh and sex in the city (laughs) where every line you know respective line in those scripts can only be said by certain characters you know eeyore can't say a line that pooh says and Mm -hmm. vice versa so on and that's because the characters have voice if all of the lines in your script go back and read it and if you find that all your lines are interchangeable between the characters then you need to work on developing their voice. And once you've done that, the best thing you can do is let your characters bounce off each other and kind of get out of their way. You know, let the story happen instead of you making it happen. So have you ever heard the, the when, when Stephen King talks about sort of putting two characters in a room and then just sort of discovering like what they'll say to each other and, and, and what they'll do? Mm-hmm. Is that a little bit of that approach here? Absolutely. And that's actually a great exercise for just kind of some free writing. Maybe if you're uh, for warming up, um, everybody has their own methods, but occasionally I've done warm ups or uh, exercises with just maybe a three page 
uh, what you call flash fiction of uh, warm-up writing. And also try to write uh, a warm-up that's something different than what you usually do. Okay. Uh, someone once challenged me so, uh, to write a flash fiction of something that I don't usually do, so I wrote a little bit of uh, homosexual erotica just to see how that would go. And yeah, I'm proud to say, I think I, I did a pretty good job. That's, that's a, that's a brag very few can say. Well, I brought yeah. a caption with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this, is this going to be another uh, five issue series? Is that a way that um, uh, Mad Cave likes to, uh, to, to, to package these so that they, uh, yeah, I, all they sort of, this one, this one will be five issues uh, as well, and there will be a trade as far as I know, yes. Um, they've not done that with all their books, and there's uh, some other books I can't talk about yet that are mm -hmm. going to be different. But yeah, you'll see that from Hellfighter Quinn um, coming out in March. Let carnage commence and the tribunal begin. Righteous. I, I had one more question. Sorry to backtrack again. But talking with like the Harlem speak uh, for Quinn, uh, was that something you had to research pretty in depth for that? Or are you pretty familiar with the Harlem speak? I did do some research for that. And my method was to, uh, you know, do the research, find a lot of phrases, and then write a draft of the script where I just use as many of them as possible. Okay. Over, overdo it. <laughs> and then let that get cold come back to it tomorrow or whatever. And you go back through it and you think, wow, I really overdid this here. This sounds, you know, terrible, but you'll kind of have fun doing it and finding it's almost like a puzzle, like, okay, where can this piece fit? And where could he conceivably say, uh, I'm trying to think of a few Harlem speaks like, uh, you know, there's the, there was the forget about it and, you know, yeah. fuck, fuck out of here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so on. Um, uh, and some of them stayed and most of them obviously would leave as I would edit and then the editor would get it. But I think if you just um, kind of drown it in the uh, vernacular and then go back and do your edits, it almost becomes uh, a foundation. It's, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be there for you. And then it's part of the character's voice as you're going through and you don't have to try so hard as you go forward. Okay. So like uh, with, with, with Quinn, I, I got a lot of, and this is probably uh, Harlem, but uh, I got a lot of, I, I felt like he was a mix between Luke Cage and, and Peter Parker. Like he, he was, you know, he had the, he had the quips, but he was, he had the, he had the, the, the street speak, the, the, the Harlem speak that was, was that uh, something that you were going for? Or that just something that sort of we see as like comic book fans. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but I think that's pretty dead on accurate, actually. Yeah, because he's um, he he does have that Peter Parker kind of attitude, but he definitely has uh, that street fighter sense that Luke Cage has, and like yeah, so, yeah, he's out for fair. his neighborhood. He is yeah. out. Yeah, he's out for his people, which is Quinn's biggest motivation, really. Yeah, I love that, and I guess so. Like with the with your wrestling book, you mentioned that, you know, finding moves, writing moves into the script from like, you know, other matches to give to the artist as reference. 
Did you have something like that here when you were designing action sequences in the script stage? Absolutely. Uh, I found a lot of references I wanted from other uh, adult genre comics. Um, with Hellfighter Quinn, I, you know, they originally said this is kind of like Mortal Kombat meets Highlander. And when I hear Mortal Kombat, you know, I think, well, fatality, right? Oh, yeah. So I was like, how graphic can I get with it? And they said, you can get about as graphic as you want. So I did go read some Mortal Kombat comics from DC. Um, I saw you another book that I got some references from that might surprise you was Invincible. Oh, yeah, that book is brutal. It, that, it, yeah. You don't always think about it being brutal, no. but, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, the art from that book. Ryan Otley knows how to draw a guy's head exploding really well. Yes, he does. And I, yeah. I definitely used some screenshots from Invincible. From uh, uh, there was a, There's actually a whole sequence that's kind of plot relevant that we'll talk about another time around the middle of the story from a, a Mortal Kombat comic that I got from it. Um, so yeah, I went for, uh, if you're going to be writing something in the genre, and this is something that I need to get better at, by the way, is looking into what else is out there in the genre. Because, um, I mean, the best writers, uh, you know, good writers copy, the best writers steal, right? Oh, yeah. So you, you, you talked about finding reference. The, the, the cover and one of the images inside is obviously... Uh, taken from that famous uh, Muhammad Ali uh, photo. Um, I believe, is he standing over Sonny? Yeah, that was correct. It was uh, Ali's Sports Illustrated uh, cover, standing over Sonny Liston, telling him to, you know, get up, you coward. That was from their second yeah. fight, where it's widely believed he threw the second fight because um, he seemed to fall down from a punch that nobody really saw. Uh you know, there's conspiracy theories abound, but yeah, that became the famous image. And I, I wanted to capture that because, um, you know, Quinn, uh, is a lot like a, an Ali type character in the larger world of the tribunal. He is from a, a marginalized group that is, you know, been kept down, you know, just like Ali and his people in the sixties and the civil rights movement. And Quinn is kind of like a, a bit of a civil rights leader with, um, you know, spine busting and uh, head ripping moves there. Yeah. And so did you bring that image or was that something that the, that the art team brought? Because I know that you said earlier that you like to share a lot of reference and a lot of links to, to things. Was that was was that something you brought the 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 Ali image? It absolutely was, yes. I've always been a big fan of boxing and Ali uh, in particular. And that was one image I really wanted to use uh, early on. Um, and I was glad they agreed with me. So it got to be issue issue one. Cool. Awesome. So let's uh let's let's turn to to your to your to your to your novel that you mentioned earlier. Um, and again, one of the things that we do like to talk about is what are some of the differences between writing in prose and in, in writing in, in comics? I'll tell you the biggest difference. Um, and we're talking about my, uh, novel is space police files. That is the five short story anthology of prose. It is the irreverent, uncensored and unredacted eyewitness account from the 
space police. Uh, the biggest difference between writing for comics and writing for prose is simply the audience. With a, a graphic novel script, you have an audience of maybe less than 10 people mm -hmm. because you really just have to write a script for the editor, the author, and, you know, okay, you know, whoever else uh, to get the idea of what to do in the panel. And then the final product is really up to, you know, the letterist who goes through the editor and so on and so forth. With prose, you are really stripped bare and you have to let the whole world read what you're going to put. So <laughs> it's, um, it it's doesn't come as naturally to me as writing the comics because I, I feel less pressure because I know that if I'm messing something up or maybe not choosing the best word order in my panel descriptions, I know that I'm still getting the message to the artist, mm -hmm. but I've got to get the message to readers with my words and prose and every reader is subjective. You know, 10 people can read the same sentence and see the same, you know, different things. Um, I brought a little sample from that book. If, if you don't, if that's okay. Please, yeah, we'd yeah. love to hear it. So this is uh, the first story. It's the first of five stories, five short stories. Uh, they're all pretty brisk reads. You could probably read them all in one sitting, you know, maybe 30 minutes. Good, good lunch break book. Uh, the first one's called The Case of the Exploding Vapor Virgin. I'll read the little opening here. Antares 4, Financial District. An explosion detonated within Centauri Credit Union sent assorted body parts of, now former, blank bank clientele blasting through the doorway. Damn, why does anyone bother banking in person anymore? Auditory dampeners in my ears activated just in time for the follow-up detonation. I passed a sobbing mother on the street, snapping her tentacles in front of her squiddy kid in their hover carriage, probably deafened for whatever lifespan their species possessed. Enhanced senses really are a double-edged plasma blade. Brushing blood and guts from my trench coat, I stepped around the riot squad's line of locked shields. Spotting the captain... I flashed my credentials. Name's Kobe Maru. Hostage negotiations. I'll take it from here. That's awesome. So, well, you write that. That's, you know, two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. you, you write that as prose. And then you write that. I, I can write that as a panel description for a comic. And I've just got exterior, bank, explosion guy walks in a trench coat and then I can put, you know, his line out there. Um, and then even show some reference images to make it really easy for the artist. But, uh, there's a lot of security for me in that and that I know, um, the artist is using his imagination with what I'm providing. I can add some, you know, references of my own to guide him if my words aren't even enough. But it can be a little scary with prose that you, you sit and you write uh, an opening like that and, you know, maybe you didn't get the word order correct. Maybe you uh, didn't write quite as actively as you should have. There's just so many things it feels like can go wrong with prose. But uh, when you get it working well, 
it's something that I'm, uh, you know, it's something to be proud of. And again, a good editor and beta readers and test readers are really worthwhile in that. You, you cannot write in a vacuum. That's really good advice. And I like hearing about your process there and breaking down prose versus comics and, you know, sort of the anatomy of what a prose would look like, you know, uh, if it was a comic. Eh, maybe this one will be a comic sometime. Who knows? I'd love to see this as a comic. I want to see the tentacled lady. Really so, do. so did you get a picture of her then in your mind? Yeah, I did. I mean, I got a t I got a picture of everything. I like, um, Good. yeah, I, I like also the twists of things. Um, you know, spotting the captain, I flashed him my credentials. Um, you know, that's, you know, we, we can, we can assume right there that the captain's probably not, I mean, just from the the other descriptions, but just reading a little further, you kind of find out like, you know, you have an idea of like what a, a captain, a police captain should look like. And then you sort of break the expectations in the next panel. So I kind of like how you're, you're breaking conventions in your stories and, and having fun at the same time. If you're not having fun, why do it? You, exactly. you may, if you're not having fun, you might as well write some of that fine literature your English teacher made you read as punishments. <laughs> if I ever find my books are being read as punishments, I might as well uh, quit myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um i know that you had mentioned earlier with uh with uh hellfighter that uh you wrote some things and then you came back and and you edited uh, a lot of the uh the speak from quinn um do you do that with uh do you do that with uh with with the novel like i know that like again i'm going to go back to stephen king i think that he has said like write something and just sort of put it in a put it in a uh, a drawer for about uh, a month, maybe two months, and then come back and look at it later. Do you do you do, do you have an approach like that with with books? A novel is a stage five clinger. You you think you've left a certain section, but you are coming back to it at some point. So yeah, absolutely. Um, what Stephen King writes in his book on writing, which mm -hmm. I definitely recommend, uh, he writes a three drafts, and he says write your first draft with the um, proverbial door closed, just you and the manuscript. Get it done. Don't worry so much about how good it is. Just get it A, B, and C, beginning, middle, and end. Uh, then he does say give it some time to cool off before you come back for a second run at it. And then by for him, he said by the third run, he's let some other people, you know, he's cracked the door. He's let some initial people that he has look at it mm -hmm. uh find someone in your life who can be that for you and be that for someone else because it's going to pay back a lot when you are ready to have someone read your manuscript to open the door and get honest opinions on it um for uh space police files i mean yeah to get something you know publish ready you are going to read each page um, and go back to it over the weeks, the months, you know, whatever. Uh, it There is a lot of uh, rereading, a lot more than there is in comics. Mm -hmm. So That's interesting. That patience is hard, but the time you have to wait for those artists, you know, just kind of evens it all out. <laughs> those artists, you know, they, they, those, artists. I, those artists, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty brilliant. I, I can't do it. <laughs>
Yeah. So um, you, it seems like with this, you have uh, you have two books that are are comics that are based around fighting, um, and uh, you know, uh, wrestling. There's it's, there's a lot of like superhero types, and we have we have uh, you know we have intergalactic superheroes and monsters fighting. Are there any other sort of areas that you would like to to tackle in in, in comics? Well, how do you know I haven't already? Oh, so you'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm, uh, I, I do like the action. I do like, you know, the battles. I would really like to have a space sci-fi, uh, you know, alien sci-fi type series that I do um, along the lines of uh, some of the Farscape comics, the Star Wars and Star Trek comics. Space sci-fi is always going to be my first love. I would like to have a series like that. I I'd love would, to see that. Well, I'll, I'll I'll see if I can't make one. Um, is is Kobe Maru's name just shortened Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek? Yes, and there's a ah, reason for and there's a reason for that. Oh, it'll be okay. I need to keep reading then. Please do. Yes, yeah. I'd love to know what you think. I oh, I'd love yeah. I'm and, hooked right now. And yeah. I'd love to have, uh, you know, um, anybody listening or uh, checking out Amazon reviews for self-published books are always appreciated. Mm -hmm. Do that for any author you can, even if you only leave a few sentences, um, because they're not easy for uh, independent authors to get. It's not like you have the weight of these publishers behind you who are going to make sure you have you know, three figures of reviews before launch date. So if you find the time, shoot me a line on Amazon. Um, don't, I, I'm sorry, I'm about to give my cheap plug outro. Are we, are we ready for that? Or do you have any more questions? Uh, actually, let's, uh, let's uh, see if Noah has any, any final questions. And then, yeah, we will do, we will do the outro. Uh, no final questions. I, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you and listen to hear your, your, principles and your disciplines with the craft and uh it's it's been a pleasure let's do it again yeah, yeah I, I, I i i agree with that i i enjoyed uh the the story breakdown and all the all the advice that you gave us so uh jay what that being said why don't you let folks know where they they can find you online well, the best place to find me is on my website at jsandlin.com. There you can sign up for my newsletter with free stories and news. Get every episode of my podcast, Jay Sandlin's What Happens Next, there or wherever podcasts are available. And find me on social media at jsandlin underscore WHN, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Over the Ropes is running now in stores. Hellfighter Quinn is coming in March. Space Police Files is on Amazon now. And there is more to come this year. Very cool. And anybody who's uh, heard this, uh, this conversation and has been intrigued by, by the books, but more so uh, Hell, Hellfighter, they should probably let their, um, let their comic book shop know that they want them because with comics, just like you were saying with the, the Amazon reviews, uh, pre-orders are, are very, very helpful. And also this is an indie comic publishing, so you got to get it now before they run out. So. Very true. All right. So if anybody would like to give us a follow, we are on Twitter at construct We are on Instagram 
at Constructing Comics Pod, and we are on Facebook and YouTube at Constructing Comics. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us, and we'll be back with a, another episode very soon.